Welcome to the Kingdom Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jamie Dixon. For more great content, visit klcmain.com. If you guys want to go with me, we're going to be in Ezekiel 44. Go with me to Ezekiel 44. Um, did everyone have a good weekend? You guys, you guys are all right? Good. Um, it was a weird 4th of July, wasn't it? Some of you guys might have liked it better, you know? All the, the bustling around and everything. It was kind of a crazy, crazy uh, time. But um, we, we've been in this series together now since we came out of COVID. Am I echoing? Okay. I did this in the 9 o'clock. It, it, for some reason, it sounds weird to me up here. All right. Um, it, we, we've been in this series since we came out of COVID, and um, once again, just so thankful that we get to be together. I'm, you know, in the past, I've, I've always been kind of envious of getting to be a pastor in like a higher population area, and like, well, if we live in a city, I wonder how big our church would be in. I'd ask myself that. And now I'm like, oh God, I don't envy those people in the big cities. <laughs> They're talking about like not getting together for a year, and thankful that we live in Oakland, Maine, and we could be together and worship together and be safe, and uh, just so thankful for that. You guys, you guys would still be at home if you were in San Francisco. It's crazy. Um, but we, we've been doing this new series called Our New Normal. Everyone's been talking about the new normal. And uh, I want to redeem this statement because we were talking about it about, well, get used to face masks forever and get used to like temperature checks in stores and get used to being tracked and all this kind of stuff. And some of this may be true, but I'll tell you what, I, I don't want to get... I don't want to become, I don't want a dead church to be normal. I want a live church to be normal. And, and I really believe that we're going to start talking about a new normal. We get to set the narrative of, well, how about this for a new normal? How about a church set on fire? And uh, how about a church that's walking greater liberty and more vision and clarity of mind and thought and, and uh, more simplicity of life and more direction and focus, carrying more of a passion and a zeal for the things of heaven? How about that for a new normal? How about believers that are not mediocre but are just burning? Uh, on, and with passion for Jesus. And, and so if we're going to start talking about a new normal, let's talk about that normal. And that's, that's what we've been getting into the past few weeks. And um, we, we we're kind of answering the questions of who are we, uh, where are we going, and how do we get there. And the first week of, of the series, I, I talked about um, that we're a family. And um, how many of so the father sent a son? A king didn't send a spy um, or a delegate. Uh, a CEO didn't send an employee a father sent a son. And he, in, in salvation, was called adoption. And that we'd be brought into a family and then given an inheritance. The language of the kingdom is the language of family. And the kingdom manifests in the context of a family. And, and we're, we, we actually hinder the move of the Holy Spirit when, when we uh, live out a membership-driven, sterile, denominational church environment instead of creating family. And, and a church operating as a family and making space for family and being multi-generational and being unified in heart and vision as a family is. And that God wants to bring the church back to its roots as a family so that he can manifest his kingdom and lift the ceiling off. How many of you guys want the ceiling to get blown off of the church and uh, the kingdom manifest in the context of family? And so uh, we, we've, we've been, that was where we started. Our second, um, our second thing that we got into was... Um, uh, was, last week was hope. How many of you guys enjoyed Church in the Yard? Yeah. Is that all right? 
Um, so we, last, last week we did church in the yard, and, and uh, that was a blast. I don't think we'll ever go back to the park. That was too fun uh, doing it right here. But uh, we, we had a great time, and, and last week we talked about hope. And I, I think, man, with the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside the church, I think Christians should be the most obnoxiously happy people on the planet. We got no reason to be like sad, depressed Christians. Uh, and I don't care what's going on. Our God has a strong soul that doesn't waver in calamity. He's not worried. The nations rage, but where's God? Sitting on his throne laughing, right? He, he's full of joy. And I love, I, I shared in Zechariah chapter 12, it says, um, in Zechariah chapter 12, and it says, oh, you prisoners of hope. And I love that statement because a prisoner of hope, any prisoner of anything is locked in a cell and can't get out. I think Christians need to lock the door of hope and, and never leave. <laughs> Throw away the key. Give yourself no plan B, no exit strategy. We need to become prisoners of hope. And um, it, people will be like, what is wrong with you? You are mad. And uh, we'll be like, no, I just have no reason to not hope in the Lord. Amen? And this week, I want to talk about being a people of his presence. Are you in Ezekiel 44? Yeah. All right. Uh, I want to ask the questions of what does it mean to be a people of his presence? Uh, what does it mean to host his presence? Uh, what does it mean to host his presence in all that we are, in all that we do? What does it mean for it all to originate from his presence? Uh, what, it, would it, what does it mean when I say something like we've got to be a, a presence-centered people? Uh, in Ezekiel 44, we have Ezekiel, the end of Ezekiel is a, is a profound set of, I'm going to get into a little bit of doctrine, okay? So hang with me for a second because the end of Ezekiel is, is quite profound because the end of Ezekiel is a bunch of New Testament prophecies about Jesus and the Gentile church that's coming in, right? He's talking about the new Jerusalem. He's talking about the, the new covenant that's being created. And the angel of the Lord appears to Ezekiel and he's like, let's go look at the kingdom. He talks about the gate that faces east and the river that flows from the gate and everywhere it goes its waters are healed. It's talking about the spirit of God flowing through you and, and that you would become the temple. And it's, and it's talking about um, the people and how, how the kingdom is made up. It's all New Testament language. It's all about the coming kingdom. It's all about the new covenant. And some scholars and some theologians actually believe the angel of the Lord is Jesus himself, appeared to Ezekiel and goes, let's go look at what I'm about to do. And a lot, some, some really believe the angel of the Lord is Jesus himself. And um, uh, there's this passage in Ezekiel 44 where he goes, let's talk about the priests in the new kingdom. Let's talk about the Levitical priesthood. Now, the Levitical priesthood is a priesthood under David. Now, David in himself is a New Testament king, okay? David, just hang with me for a minute. David is a New Testament king. He, he fought all these wars and made a place on Mount Zion to restore the presence of God on Mount Zion. And it says in Amos 9.11 that the tabernacle of David would be restored. And in Acts chapter 15, it says that Jesus is the tabernacle of David that was being restored. And David was a king that chose to be a priest in the presence of God. I could spend, I, I, I have here spent many hours on the subject. But David is a new covenant king, a new covenant man, and the Levitical priest of a new, new covenant imagery. 
Why do I say all that? Because when it talks about, in Ezekiel 44, about the Levitical priesthood, it's talking about you and I. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says that we are now a royal priesthood, a holy generation, right? And so we are that holy priesthood, or that, that royal priesthood in a Davidic fashion, like the Levitical priest. Are we all right? The nine o'clock was like, get me more coffee. What? You guys are right. You've had more time to wake up, the 10.30. So, all right. So in Ezekiel 44, he's given some pretty cool language, right? Because the, Levit the Old Testament priesthood would wear animal skin and fleece in the dead of summer. Anybody ever been to Israel in the summer specifically? Is it hot? It is so hot, guys. Israel is so hot. And, and they're in the desert, right? And, and, and so the priests would actually wear fleece garments in, Old Test, in the Old Testament to make themselves uncomfortable and a sweat uh, in the presence of the Lord because it, it was the Old Covenant. But in the New Covenant, he's saying, now, but here, here's the thing about the Levitical priests. The Levitical priests, the priests that are coming in this new kingdom that's being built, they're going to wear linen. And it's going to be air-conditioned in my presence, right? He's giving all this language that's like grace-filled about coming to the presence of the Lord and being comfortable in my presence and being allowed to be there and not suffering. And this is what he says um, in, in verse 27. It says, And on that day that he goes to the sanctuary to minister in the sanctuary, he must offer a sin offering in the inner courts of the Lord. Verse 28, and it will be in regard, this is the Levites, this is you and I, all right? And it will be in regard to their inheritance that I am their inheritance. And you shall give them no possession in Israel, for I am their possession. He's saying you don't give them land. Don't give them gold and silver. Don't give them grain and wheat. Don't give them gemstones. That's not their inheritance. I have a greater inheritance for the Levites, and that inheritance is me. I'm going to give them myself. I am their possession. And this is what he's saying is, is those priests that are come, you and I, our inheritance, when it speaks of the great inheritance now made available to the saints, is what? God himself is your inheritance. Let's talk about that, right? Because the presence of God is the eternal longing of man that's now been made available to us. This all originates in the garden. God says, let us make man in our image. He makes man, body, soul, and spirit, triune, as the Godhead is triune. He makes man. He puts him in the garden where there is no division between heaven and earth. There, there, there's no division and there's, there is a perfect communion between God and man. And he's dwelling in the garden, existing in the garden, fellowshipping with God. And we know that sin enters in when he eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and what was the punishment for the sin of man entering in? Separation. He gets kicked out of the garden. Man gets separated from perfect union with God and gets removed from the garden. And the lock gets put in place. And, and uh, the priesthood gets put in place. And the temple gets built. And the temple is holy of holies, outer courts, inner courts. And the law was all of the handwriting of requirements against you of why you can't have access to the holy of holies. And the, whole, the, the, and the temple is built to emphasize the fact that you're distant from God. And, and so you see that the 
the central theme of the Old Testament is God was man, man was made for nearness to God, communion with God. Man was separated because of sin, and now man is trying to get to the nearness of God and is raging to get his presence. And, and you just look through the Old Testament. In, in, in Psalms, it says, um, you know, I'm watching the, the sparrow come down and make his home in the courts of the Lord, and how I wish I was that sparrow. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. How, how about Israel, you know, not being able to come near to the Lord? There's a, there's a thick veil that's separating the, the high priest that can go in once a year for the remission of the sins of Israel. And there's a thick veil. And not only is there a thick veil and God's in this ark, but man, like... There's a chance that that dude might die just for going past the veil. They put bells on his ankle and tie a rope around his, his feet so that if the bells stop, they can drag out his dead body. Right? And, and, and you have, you have um, Israel setting up camp at the base of Mount Sinai where the presence of God comes on a mountain and it's all about like don't come near. Shakings and tremblings and earthquakes as they watch in awe the presence of God touch a mountain. And then you've got Moses crying out, show me your glory. I just want your presence. And then he sets up a tent of meeting where God would talk to him and all of Israel would come out and watch him. And they would just stand there and watch Moses because they longed to be that near. And then you have, uh, you know, then you have David who fought a thousand battles, shed so much blood that God called him a man of war with blood-stained hands. But the purpose of every war was to get Mount Zion to become a dwelling place for the presence of God again. The presence of God had been missing for a hundred years because Eli let the presence of God go to battle and the Philistines came out to fight for the presence of the Lord. And they fought and they beat Israel and they captured the presence of God. And it says that Eli, who was old and was blind, sat waiting for the presence of God to come back. And when the messenger came back, says, we've lost, we've lost the presence of God. Eli fell over and died on the edge of the city. It, it then says that one of the, these women who, whose husbands was, uh, gave birth uh, after her husband died in that battle, she didn't name the child, uh, dad's gone. She named the child Ichabod because the presence of God had left Israel. Do you guys understand that the central theme of, of the old covenant is that God was made for relationship, or I mean, I'm sorry, man was made for relationship with God. Man was created for nearness and for his presence, and man was distanced from the presence of God and trying to work their way back to favor so they could just have his presence again. And it's, it's this relationship is a central theme of the Old Testament. But, but, but then we know the story culminates to the Father sending a son. It, Jesus, the Word made flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Right? He comes and he walks with us and he lives that perfect life. And on the cross, he stands as two beings. He stands as a priest offering a lamb. And he stands as a lamb to be slain. And because he came from the line of the tribe of Judah, the law said that when the priesthood changes, the law has to change. So he became a priest of a tribe that had never had a priest. He offered a perfect lamb, lived a perfect life, became the high priest of our faith, and changed it from the law of, of sin and death to the law of liberty and life. 
He removes the handwriting of requirements that were against you and I. And he goes up on the cross. And, and as he takes upon, in six hours, mind you, takes on all of the sin of humanity for all generations. He takes on all the shame, all the guilt, and all the reasons why you and I are separated from God. And he smashes the law right there on that, on that place. And he goes, it is finished. And, 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 you know, you could probably translate that statement to access granted. Because when he gave up his breath, the veil that represented uh, our separation was torn in half. Why? Because sin had to be removed to give you access again. It was all about his presence. Not just the here and the now, but for eternity. That you would be able to coexist and to dwell with God in eternity forever. Because it's always been about his presence. From the garden to the end, it's always been about his presence. It's always been about fellowshipping with God through his Holy Spirit. It's always been about, I mean, you look at your very makeup. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit says, let us make man in our image. And then he makes them, he makes them body, soul, and spirit. And then when they get separated, he makes a temple. Outer courts, inner courts, holy of holies. And then he, he, he literally makes everything triune because he wanted you to know that you were always meant to be the temple that had to stand in your place for a season. And then when the temple doors are closed, you now become the very dwelling place that once looked like your division is now his dwelling. And you have now become the temple, a triune dwelling place for the, for the presence of God, the Holy of Holies. Is this making sense to you? It's always been about his presence. And now it says, uh, and now it says in, in 1 Corinthians 1.26, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and generations has now been revealed to the saints, which is this, Christ in you is the hope that God will receive glory. That, that it was all culminating in all of Moses and Noah and everyone said, we long for your presence. And it was a mystery that had been veiled has now been revealed to you and I. What is the mystery? The presence of God through Jesus Christ dwelling inside of earthen vessels. It's always been about his presence. Ephesians 2, 13, but now Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have now been brought near by the blood of Jesus. The veil that separated you, that was scarlet in color, has now been broken by another scarlet color called his blood, and all have been welcomed into his presence. 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Do you guys understand this theme has come to a head and your whole existence is about his presence. The same presence that dwelled in the ark that split the seas, the same presence that made Dagon fall to the ground. Everyone's all worried about what's going on in the world and all the, the big powerful people making statements, Gavin Newsom, you can't sing in church, you know, and everyone's freaking out. But you literally have the God that made Dagon bow before him and smash his head and hands living inside of you. Not just, he didn't, he didn't water himself out so everyone gets some. It's the full thing is dwelling inside of you. Everyone goes into like, man, this, this, this city feels dark. Are you kidding me? Where did we get that phrase? There's more power in your pinky than all the antichrists of hell. 
We're like a big, we're like a big devil Christian believers, but it's always supposed to have been about big, powerful presence of God dwelling inside of you. God in you is the, Christ in you is the hope that God will receive glory. And, and, and what we have to understand is that it's not about signs, wonders, and miracles. It's not about revival. It's not about awakening. It's not about provision. It's not about all these things. Those are all the byproduct of his presence. It's all about his presence. It's not, it's not about, um, we need revival. So we're just going to be a church to, be, to go after revival. We're all about revival. I'm a revivalist, man. I, I, I'm just like revival or bust, baby. I'm just, that's why I'm here. That's what I'm going after. But I'll tell you this, is that revival is a byproduct of his presence. So if we want revival in a city, we need to actually host his presence. And when we host his presence, revival comes. You, you, you need to understand something. So, you know, I've gotten this complaint before that we don't do another, enough altar calls. Can I explain to you why I don't do a lot more altar calls? Can I tell you? It's not because I want to get out of here. Do you understand that? I'll, I'll go here all day. You, you think you can hang on the presence of God longer than me? Try me. Right? I'll do this all day. I, I was born for this. You want to you know why? You want to know why I don't do more altar calls? Because it's not about me. It's about his presence. I don't want to create a church culture that bottlenecks to a man needing to lay hands on people for God to become real and tangible in your life. I don't want this to ever be about me. I want it to be all of us presence. And there, there, his presence is available back there, up there, over there. And it's no different up here. I don't need an altar call for the presence of God to be real out there. And so you need healing your body, just receive. His presence is here. Just go for it. We can host his presence and everything is a byproduct of his presence. You know, we, we start talking about like, man, my work environment's so toxic. I, I, I need to do X, Y, and Z. No, you just need his presence. Just invite his presence to come. You know, you're like, oh man, I got this terrible report and people are, we're, I'm sick and all this stuff. I, I, need, I need so-and-so to pray for me because I heard they prayed for this person over here and they get healed. I need that person. But no, you don't need that person. You need the presence of God to touch your body. We've made this about giftings and about, about titles and about schools of ministry and Bible degrees. All this stuff. Guys, none of it matters at all. All we need is the presence of God. We need to be a people of his presence. We, we, we need to, everything that we are and do needs to originate from his presence. We go into Salem and the witches are out there doing their stuff and everyone's, you know, in, on Halloween. And we're just like, man, this is going to be so fun because the presence of God is more profound than anything these guys are tapping into. So let's just invite his presence. And people are like, we've got to cancel this witchcraft prayer and pour out the oil I'm like, and wave a flag. And I'm like, no, you don't. Just invite his presence to come. Because it's bigger than all that stuff. It's bigger than everything that you think is going on. It's way bigger. And everyone's like, I got a, I got a headache. I bet you it's the witches. And I'm like, you better have more presence of God in your life than a witchcraft prayer at 3 a.m. <laughs> Are you guys hearing me? Yeah. I know I'm being kind of funny, but I'm, I'm trying to slay some, some golden calves here because it's all about his presence. Yeah. And his presence is profound and powerful and everything is culminated to you getting to host it. We've got to become a people's presence. And, and, and then miracle signs and wonders are just byproducts. And so we can create an environment where we just press into the presence of God and we just get the presence of God to come and just things happen. Because, when, because you guys remember when, when Joshua came up on the River Jordan, God says, you're going into your promised land. Um, he says, let the priests go ahead of you. And the moment they take my presence on their shoulders and they step into the waters, it will part. Why? Because wherever you carry the presence of God, every obstacle moves.
Are you hearing this? We got to be a people of his presence and everything comes back to hosting the presence of the Lord. I want to end with this. I, um, we, we, uh, I told this story. I wasn't thinking to tell this, but then I did it in the first service, and, and it's, fun. it's a fun story. So a few years ago, my wife and I, um, quite a few years ago, it was like six years ago now, because you were pregnant with Hattie, we were in Norway, and um, I was going to be speaking at this big national prayer conference, and so they had me come in a week early and do a small workshop on prayer and intercession with um, all these uh, people from around the country. And there's probably 20 to 30 people there. And, and um, it was a great, I mean, I saw some crazy stuff. We start reading the word and people start like getting, like delivered of demons and stuff. It was wild. Um, and God did all this cool stuff. And I was telling lots of testimonies. And um, this guy near the end of it, it was, the, it was the night before the prayer conference. And this guy stands up and he comes over to me. The, you know when someone's so tall, they kind of, Right? This dude was so large. He, he was probably like 6'8", and he, he was a Viking. Now, I won't even say he looked like a Viking. He was a Viking. The dude's name was like Valcor or something like that. It was something like that, like Helgar or like Valcor or something. It was like aggressive, and the guy talked aggressive, and he was like in your face. And like the dude was a Viking, guys. He had long blonde hair and a beard, 6'8", and he's like, my name is Valcor. You know, and the dude was a Viking. And he'd been in my prayer, my, uh, this prayer thing this whole time. And um, just a simple dude and, and uh, really hungry for the Lord. And was really, like, astonished when I was telling testimonies of miracles and stuff. And so he comes up to me. It was on his Friday. And the, uh, we end the class. We pray. And he comes up to me. And he goes, uh, he just, he says, have you heard about our Christian political leader? And, uh, and I said, no, I don't, I don't even know how your government works, you know. And he goes, yeah, we have a Christian political leader that fights for Christian rights and fights against abortion and all these different things in, um, in, in uh, Norway. And he goes, a week ago he had a stroke and he is on his deathbed on life support. And the wife has not let, not, hasn't let any of the parliament members in. Nobody in the staff is allowed in. He is dead. She's about to pull the plug. And she goes, and then you told those stories, and I called her, and I told her that you would raise her husband from the dead. <laughs> and I said, oh, would you look at the time? Um, and he, he, he says that to me. He goes, and, uh, and he goes, I've already bought your train and uh, plane ticket. We leave in an hour. And so it was, I looked at Shannon. She's like, you, you got to go. You know, like there's no... And so um, I, so sure enough, I didn't even pack a bag. It was, it was like I, we, we just jumped in a car, jumped on a train, got to the airport, 45-minute flight, land in Bergen, and get off the plane, get into a taxi, straight to the hospital. I walk into the hospital. They were waiting for us. They put gowns, face masks, gloves, and walked us to this room that was like secretly protected, guarded room. And we walk into this room. The nurse is like, you got 15 minutes. And guys, it happened so fast. And then here's like, uh, it was, it was, oh gosh, I wish I could replay the scene because me, the 6'8 guy, Viking guy, walking through this hospital, and now we're standing over this incredibly influential Christian leader in the nation of Norway who is lifeless and he's dead on this table with just being held on by life support. And can I be entirely honest with you that I actually looked to him and I said, 
I'm just going to call him Valcor because it's a Viking name. I, I said, I said, Valcor, I don't know what to do. And, uh, and he, and we just looked at each other and I said, all I know to do is let's, let's invite the presence of the Lord. And so we're standing there and all this stuff. And honestly, there's so much stuff on me that even if I had an anointing somewhere on my body or life, it wasn't coming through, right? So <laughs> I, I, I'm standing over his body and we just begin to worship. And we just, guys, I'm not kidding, 15, like the presence of God came really strong in the room. And, um, and to the point where we're just worshiping, Jesus, you're holy. We love you. We bless you. I forgot to pray God raised him from the dead. And the presence of God came, and we just got lost in the presence of the Lord. And, uh, and the nurse comes in and goes, you guys are done, and pulls us out. And as I'm leaving, you hear beep, 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 all this stuff going off. And she's like, you guys got to go now. And so we leave, and my plane is in an hour, right? So they, he throws me to tax me, uh, ta- tax me, taxi, and I get rushed to the, uh, I get rushed to, um, the airplane. I get on the airplane. And I get off the airplane, I get onto a train, and when I get onto the train, I'm sitting there, and I'm finally getting, like, free Wi-Fi on their train, and my phone starts lighting up. And while, when I got onto the train, I realized while I was on the plane, they were texting me that he was awake and talking, and that he'd been completely raised on that, on that table, Right? And, and, uh, and, and I, I, I was astonished, because didn't you love it when God is so good that his goodness offends you? <laughs> Where it's like, I, I didn't pray the right prayer. All I did was invite his presence. And then he who is resurrection life brings resurrection life to dead things. Right? He, he just changes atmospheres. He just, wherever he goes, he just walks through walls. He just, he just is who he is. He heals the sick. I remember the, one of the times we went to Salem and we do this event called Behind Happenings um, and we do 60 hours of worship and prayer where I tell them, don't war with witches and demons, just worship Jesus. And for 60 straight hours unending, we just worship Jesus and host his presence in the middle of Salem who's in like doing seances and witches and all that kind of stuff and we just host the presence of the Lord. And so we, we were there. I remember one of the first years that we did it, I took a young lady who had never healed the sick. She had never seen signs and wonders and miracles. I remember I brought her to the streets and there was this lady who had no knee. She had, her, her knee was so damaged in an accident that they removed all the cartilage and bone from her knee and she had us touch it and it was like a squishy ball. It was, it was, it was actually so gross. And, um, and, and so she's on crutches and she's like, yeah, this just happened. It removed and, and she goes, can you heal this? Because we have these signs of free healing and everything in me is like, no way. You, you know, everything in me. So there's this girl who we brought with us um, she was brand new saved, like brand new saved. And, um, and so we turned to her and I said, hey, you want to pray for her because this would be a good training moment for me to not have to not be a part of this and for her to get into it, right? And so this is a scapegoat. I said, why don't you pray? And she'd been watching me pray for everybody and she saw all the miracles and stuff. So she puts her hand on this lady's knee and she goes, oh, Jesus, you love her so much. All right, amen. And, and I said, is that it? She goes, that's it. And she was like, so like, yay, God's going to do it. And I was like, oh, boy. Um, and, and the lady goes, is that it? I was like, I guess that's it. And, and, uh, and so I was like, so now we have you tested out. And she laughed at me. And I said, no, really. Put some weight on it and go like, try to walk to that tree. 
I'm not kidding you guys. This is, this, is, this is where my whole life turned around was at this moment. Like all my faith and expectation and miracles, everything that I thought I knew about healing the sick was gone. It was just gone. And, uh, and it came, became so simple that when the presence of God showed up, people just get healed. It's because she did not speak to anything, pray for anything, do anything. She, she just said, God, you just love her and invited this, the presence of God to come. And when that lady came back, she was holding both crutches in hand, bending. We touched her knee and a full bone had been created in her knee. I, ha- I, have it on, I have it on video of this lady, like, bending her knee, freaking out. You know, and, and listen, I, I say all the, I, I share these testimonies to say is that everything that we do, all that we are, originates in the presence of the Lord. We were created for his presence. It is actually, like, the sole occupation of our identity is to commune with God from here to eternity. That it is, you find all of your purpose and identity is found in hosting his presence. In your home, in your workplace, everywhere you go. There are environments that are demonically charged in where you live, in where you go, in where you work. And you get to invite the presence of God. And because you're there, his presence comes. There are cities that you'll walk into that are heavy. You get to invite the presence of God to come. I dare you. Once you start walking through the grocery store and start inviting the presence of God to come as you walk, and, as, and as, you, as you walk and invite his presence, see if he invites you to become part of something that you never would have if you didn't invite his presence. And maybe some things will begin to happen around you and some people will start getting impacted because the environment around you is changing. His presence shows up and everything changes. Does that make sense? Maybe, maybe you need to start inviting the presence of God when you work with some people. And just to begin to watch things begin to change. I could tell you story after story after story. The point is this. We are a people of his presence. It is the sole occupation of our church. Everything that we do and all that we're going after is going to originate from his presence. Your prayer life, let it change. Stop trying to work from the outside in. Just start inviting his presence. Uh, your, your worship life, everything we're doing. This is why, uh, to me, we're not singing songs and hymns and just kind of doing the get, get through it. No, 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 no. Every time we worship, we get to host the actual manifest presence of God. It's not normal. I, I, I could do six services, and every service would be different for me. And, and they could do the same songs. Tim could say the same jokes. Tim, he could, we could give the same messages. I don't flipping care because the presence of God is fresh every time. I can sing the same songs forever. I don't care. Let's, let's go. I'll do it. And it's not routine for me because it's not about the songs. It's about his presence. We've got to become a people's presence. Why don't you guys stand with me?